Great chiropractors and physical therapists are under constant pressure of declining insurance reimbursements and long hours. But did you know there's a way to double your profit without working more? By building a gym onto your practice, you can earn more income, stabilize your business, and be a hero to your family, patients, and team. It's a big undertaking with a huge reward. Dr. Josh Satterley has done it, changed his life, and now wants to help you do the same. Welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another great episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I am very excited today, honored, in fact, to have Dr. Ben Ferguson. How are you, Ben? I'm doing great, Josh. Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely, man. We got to have all the, the leaders in the profession on the show here to give it some sort of legitimacy, you know? Sure. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to have you. Now, Ben, can you give everybody uh, a little idea of where you're calling in from and uh, what you do out there, wherever you are? Absolutely. Uh, I'm calling in from Evanston, Illinois. Uh, we're the first town north of Chicago. It's unfortunately snowing here today, uh, but spring is on its way. I'm a chiropractor. I, I run a clinic in Evanston called Cornerstone Health. Um, at one point, we were a multidisciplinary clinic, uh, and to an extent, we still are, um, but we've sort of refined what we do into treating primarily chronic and complex cases that may be uh, a, a simple chronic musculoskeletal pain or something as complex as multiple sclerosis or brachial plexus injuries due to uh, uh, an operation at birth or uh, sometimes uh, autoimmune diseases and how they affect the nervous system. So chronic and complex is sort of our, our bread and butter. And we bring pieces into our clinic to help to serve that population. Fantastic. So you guys aren't scared of anything, huh? Uh, yeah, not, not, not scared. Uh, we'll do a detailed evaluation of anything. Not, not always saying that we can uh, help every condition, um, but usually saying we're going to give you the most in-depth evaluation and, and give you something to start with. Nice. I love it. You guys are like the dragon slayers out there. So <laughs> that's uh, well, right. Now, uh, I, I was originally introduced to you because you and I are presenting at the same conference, the Forward KC event. That's and right. I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's going to be great. So June 1st through 3rd in Kansas City uh, at the, is it Cleveland Chiropractic College, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't signed up, go sign up now. Uh, just type in Forward KC event and you guys will find it. But uh, that is, you're presenting there on kind of a, a technique you've developed. Can you give us a little history of that? Sure. So I present uh, a evaluation system with a rehab and treatment arm to it. Uh, that system's called GRIP Approach. And GRIP stands for Global Rehabilitation and Injury Prevention. Uh, the global would essentially uh, refer to the fact that we're looking at how the whole body functions. It's not just a, a tunnel vision view of one joint, one muscle, or one condition, but, but really looking at how all of these variables play into how the whole body functions. So it's, it's a rehabilitation approach. Also, we have our eye on injury prevention, especially when we're working with our athletes. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's dive into this because this is super exciting. I'm sure most people are sitting there going, well, I want to prevent future injuries and I want to rehab people. And I think I'm smart enough to take a global approach, but uh, can you kind of give us a history of how you developed this? Because 
I mean, you know, developing a whole system is a, <laughs> how do I say this? It's a lot of work. I was going to it, say it's a pain somewhere, but it's a lot of work. So you must have been motivated to do so. It is. It's, it's a bit of time travel because you, you go into developing something like this and you get out of the other end and you realize a decade went by. Um, so that's the unfortunate part about it. But the, <laughs> the beneficial part is we now have something that, that makes our evaluation much more clear, um, certainly more objective and is a program that multiple clinics can reproduce to help solve chronic and complex cases, as well as plan uh, athletic movements, plan recovery of lost motion for competitive athletes. So, so, uh, so you end up with kind of a start here system where, where people can get to a confident starting point of what needs to be done, whether you're saying it's athletic or, or treatment-wise. Yeah, I, I'd love for, for individuals that take the classes to be confident in it, um, but that usually happens after they've, they've spent some time with the material, applying it and improving at it. What, what we can say is they're going to get something that's objective, that's not tainted by that um, variable subjective data. So if I do uh, an eval in my office, I should send them to a colleague who would have a very similar uh, exam finding, and both of us would be able to work together on the right steps to help a help an individual overcome what they're presenting with. Man, you're speaking my language here. We got some intra and inter uh, reliability here, as they say in research, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's always the goal. It's a hard one to pull well, off. That's always, yeah, the goal. especially. I mean, coming out of the world of chiropractic, like you and I both know that there are many. Uh, oh, I don't know what you want to call them, gurus, who uh, sure. you know tell you, hey, if it hurts here. Well, obviously that's the, uh, you know, the, the lower third of their, uh, superior gemelli and, uh, that's, that's all you need to worry about, you of know? And course, like, those are, those are some very magical hands. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, uh, I can't, I can't use those magical hands, but I, I can purchase a program for, you know, $10,000 and learn how to be kind of like them. It's just ridiculous. Right. So, I, so I think what, what's really common is that, this is a very neat profession where the majority of what we do, um, no matter what it is, can be effective, um, but it needs to be applied to the right patient. And ideally, it needs to be something that can be reproducible so that you can continue to select the right therapy for the right presentation. And you can teach those that work with you to do it. And you can teach colleagues to do it. And then we can collect the data that's uh, profound enough that we can start to study it. So you're looking for patterns then, if you're saying this profound uh, data that you want to study, um, but you're looking for some similarities between multiple cases there? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, so we, we keep data on that within our office of um, what a certain presentation is and what methods we used and what the results were. So we have a lot of data from our own office but we do try to compare that both with my other instructors and our certified providers to make sure we're seeing the same things. And if we are getting uh, consistent issues, being comfortable going back to the drawing board, bringing in new research, bringing in new methods to say, why is this one, one presentation not responding the way it initially did? So we're, we're working on that, but it's very much a grassroots effort of looking at collected data at this point. That's awesome. I love it though, because, you know, I teach for an, an, 
different eval uh, with different letters, but it's the SFMA, which mm-hmm. I, I believe in. And I'm sure that, you know, the goals are the same, which is like, hey, can two people do this on the same patient and end up in the same box, which I love. But I love the fact you're talking about that research because I've been at many seminars where I go, let me ask you a question. How many of you treat, you know, you just ask a simple um, uh, patellofemoral pain syndrome. How about that? You know? Sure. And people raise their hand and, and what do you do for it? Oh, I do this. I do that. I do taping. Okay. How many of you have actually would say that this taping is successful? Like it, it, it produces positive results. And all of a sudden there's like kind of a murmuring in the room and you're going, well, how come no hands are up? Right. <laughs> like, we're just doing this because the person who taught us in clinic did it. And the person that taught them before that in clinic did it. And, and it's like, well, do we ever step back and go, hey, do we have data that this actually works? Because it's taking time. Uh, I have to charge for that time. The pa- I'm taking time out of the patient's schedule. And then I'm giving them this confidence of, hey, there's all this, and I'm just using tape as one example. It could be any treatment, but there, there's all this tape all over me. So in, in their mind, they're thinking, well, I must be recovering. And if you go, well, actually, no, they're not. You're doing them a huge disservice. It, it just, it kills me, you know? Like right. people just don't look at, are your treatments actually effective? So you guys actually track that. We, we do track that. Uh, I think it's very important. I, I, and here's a, here's a similar story. My, my father's a home builder. He was a home builder. And he would buy pieces of property and he'd have them surveyed and he'd split it up and he would get an architect and they would choose which house would look best for the property. And they would build this beautiful house on the property and then they would sell it. Um, but he always had this warning about one bad scenario where the surveyor did a poor job surveying and they ended up building a beautiful house that was halfway onto a piece of property that he didn't own. And that allowed that house to not be sellable unless they got the surveyor right or if they worked out some deal with it. And that certainly applies to medicine, especially physical medicine. We can do beautiful things. We can make strength happen in certain muscles. We can drive mobility, but oftentimes we're missing accuracy in our survey. And I think it's important that if we're going to do all the work to master a physical approach or a rehab approach, or our patient's going to invest time, money, effort, and hope in something that we've at least done the right survey and we're doing the work in the spots that actually need the work. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And it also, it helps you say like, you know, the only way you can see if your treatment system works is to have data to say like, here were the results before objective, not subjective, right? Cause if it's subjective, I can wave magic crystals upon you and you will go like, Oh, I think I feel better. Right. Uh, right. But if we start with an objective measure and then we do our treatment, we come back and we go, Hey, that, you know, you got to admit, Hey, that didn't work. And I, I know I've done plenty of treatments that did not work. Uh, I wish I could say they were done for research sham uh, treatments, you know, but uh, mm-hmm. that wasn't the case. So what are some things you've discovered along the way in taking this data that, that changed the, the grip approach? Or, or maybe developed because it might have been early on. Sure. Well, I think I'll circle back and, and answer one of your initial questions and then lead into that. Um, why did we start to develop grip approach and when? So initially, grip approach was an entity that I was hosting other presenters with, all with the goal of fleshing out my personal view uh, of what it took to use a full body rehab approach and to provide injury prevention services. And we would bring in people that both supported my initial hypothesis 
and those that challenged my ideas to see why this perspective was so different. And after hosting, attending, and being involved with many different approaches, um, I started to identify some common threads that we could look a little deeper at and try to find a way where we could take multiple different avenues and approaches, yet use one testing system to determine how, when, and why to apply a certain treatment. So that was the kind of early thread of what we were, were starting to do. Uh, is develop an objective test that we could apply anything we learn to and get good results with. It's like uh, that movie, uh, Lord of the Rings, one ring to unify them all, right? <laughs> yeah, that, I didn't think about that, but that's a, that's a fun analogy. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and use that one on your marketing materials. Yeah, oh, that, I, can, I can picture it right now. I just got to get Vigo <laughs> Mortison on board, right? <laughs> yes. So, so we, we have an objective system that, that has gone under some change year to year. We refine some things as our data slightly modifies. But essentially, we teach our practitioners how to evaluate the whole body based on two specific criteria. The first is, can the individual develop a relatively neutral base of support that they can stabilize at in four regions of the body. Uh, the most important and the first one is the lumbopelvic canister between the lower ribcage diaphragm and the pelvic floor. Uh, the second one is the shoulder girdle. The third is the cervical cranial junction. And the fourth is the foot tripod when well-balanced, uh, neutral, and uh, bearing some load. So we first make sure that our patients and athletes have some sense of control over these areas and they meet some of the standards that, that we put forth that are identified as neutral or in good standing. Um, once we've determined whether or not they can control these four areas, we then have a single movement test for each joint of the body in each plane of motion. Uh, joint may be an exaggeration, each joint complex. So we're not testing T2 over T3. Um, however, we will look at the thoracic spine and mm -hmm. we'll break the shoulder down into scapular movement or humeral movement. So we'll ask the individual to drive under their own power, specific movement in a single plane of motion and then we'll measure how far they can generate that movement before they lose control of those four neutral zones or until we see other signs of loss of motion, such as cheating into a different plane of motion with rotation or side bending, or if we start to see muscle clenching or um, joint compression that's not ideal, we'll stop the measurement there. And by looking at this, in key joints throughout the body, we can get very objective about what their brain can make their body do and what it can't. So, so to picture this, basically, uh, how would I say this? You're seeing, let's just take a, let's just take the shoulder. You're seeing how, how big I can basically, if I start at a really tight uh, circle, Imagine a bullseye. If I'm starting at the red circle, you're saying, hey, how far out to those outer rings can you expand before you have to do something? And something could be joint compression, uh, deviate your motion. I forgot your other criteria, but you're, you're trying to say, hey, how big can that circle get so that you could 
do some sort of intervention and then maybe four visits later you redo it and now they're reaching a larger circle. Is that kind of yeah. a good analogy? I think that's a good analogy. And, okay. and I guess my summary language would be um, their ability to drive motion in an uncompensated way. Okay. Okay. Uh, now, I think the fact that we break it down into a single plane of motion at a time mm-hmm. was a big factor in making this reliable and successful. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Cause I always notice that in your, your uh, marketing materials, it's, you know, this is the sagittal mm-hmm. uh, version or the transverse plane and it, and which is interesting because usually people go, Oh, it's the upper extremity or it's the lower extremity or, you know, we're covering uh, right. The, right. the hip joint. And, yeah, and we, that. we've done a couple focus classes. I've done a, a hip performance class. I've done a lower extremity class in the early stages of this and we felt like by doing that, we were leaving out key data about how the body moves um, that made it hard to start to apply one classes of material before you had the whole approach. Now, let's say an ideal scenario, we would just teach the whole approach back-to-back days to so have the whole thing, but we're looking at you know uh, 12 days of education, and that's a bit daunting for anybody. Um, So we had to divide it up. And by doing so in a single plane of motion, we allow the individual to essentially say, I can assess a patient or an athlete head to toe in all of their flexion and extension movements and get good, reliable data. And they, they have that initial layer. They come to the second class and they learn how to evaluate the side motions, coronal plane of motion. And they add that layer in and they get the third layer and they apply it. And now we can go regional at that point once you have all the data. But there's many times, and I'm sure you see this in in SFMA, where loss of sagittal plane motion at the ankle may be a reason why the patient's having a hard time with the transverse plane in the lumbar spine. So being able to connect the whole body in a single plane of motion is really, really key for the success of the evaluation. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So do you start specifically, or do you recommend that uh, clinicians start at, with a certain motion? No, um, with an exception that you'll find in our society and in our movements, you're going to find more to do with the sagittal plane of motion in your first kind of swipe through. So I think um, there's a slight advantage to starting with the sagittal plane motion mm-hmm. if you want to apply it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately it is a system where you benefit from understanding all three planes of motion. Very cool. And, and, uh, so you offer, go ahead and pitch your stuff here because I'm sure people are going, I want to learn this. This is amazing. And, uh, you got to learn some sort of great evaluation system. Uh, where can people find out if they want to get involved in this? Yeah, they can check out our website, gripapproach.com. Uh, We also have a recently active Facebook and Instagram page that are both uh, Grip Approach, Global Rehabilitation and Injury Prevention. Um, There we put up some interesting videos of cases and exercises. Uh, And then our educational product is split into two divisions. One is our clinical series and the other is our performance series. Uh, They operate in a somewhat similar way. Our clinical classes are three-day classes that are highly detailed. You, you look at every joint complex head to toe, form your objective eval, grade or classify that information, and then you're also taught 
a key full body rehab approach and an evidence supported um, fascial manipulation or connective tissue approach that applies to those deficits. Our performance classes are less detailed, but sometimes uh, more impactful day one. We will split our performance classes into upper and lower, as you mentioned previously, our third class being the spine and advanced class. And we'll choose the top 10 or 12 evaluations and rehab exercises per region of the body um, based on the volume of utilization within my office and within the gyms that we affiliate with. So you're essentially in those classes getting the evaluations that we do most frequently and the rehab exercises that match them, as well as some study of how to program a gym workout with respect to what you found. So you're saying that there is a need for clinicians to work with people in a gym, almost like they should have a combination of a gym and a clinic, Ben? That's a wild idea, Josh. You should run with Hold that. Hold on a second. I'm going to write this one down and I'm going to start <laughs> something about this. All right. That's, so let's that's, dive uh, in that's really where the magic happens. Uh-huh. Hey, man, you're preaching to the choir, brother, but say it louder and again for everybody so that they can hear it. That's where the magic happens, right? That is so, where the magic happens. There you go. So let's, let's go on a little bit. I just want to make sure people know where to get a hold of you. Everybody sure. always saves that stuff for the end, but let, you know, pepper it in here and there. So <laughs> we can do that. So let's go to the, the operations of this because um, I think, you know, obviously what I'm, what I'm advocating is, Hey, blend those two sides because they appear different from the outside, but really they're, they're the same thing. They're just, um, iterations of the same thing, like evaluate your athlete is what the best strength coaches in the world do. Evaluate your patient is what the best clinicians do. And then from there, make decisions on how to get them better at whatever it is. And that's what you're saying. You just have a very fine tooth comb to help uh, identify exactly where you, you can objectively say they're going to fall apart. It's, it's awesome. I mean, this is incredible. Uh, thank, thank, thank you for your appreciation of it. Um, and and I, I will say this, we're we're not reinventing the wheel here. There's a lot of great programs that use before and after evaluation to drive what they're doing. Um, I think what we've tried to do with it and, and what I'd like to provide is something that allows all of the detail that's necessary to solve any case, as well as making it purely objective. We've taken all of the subjective variability out of our examination so that what you have is more or less hard facts in front of you. Yeah. Because if they came in drinking a coffee one day and the next they're drinking a green tea, that may give you different findings if you're going off subjective measures. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'll be right back with my interview with Dr. Ben Fergus after this. Are you a chiropractor or physical therapist working long hours, worrying about lower repayments and missing out on quality time with your family? You can double your income without working more hours by adding a gym to your practice. Clinic Gym Hybrid Solutions has a step-by-step guide that dramatically simplifies and speeds up the addition of a fitness center and its monthly recurring revenue. In just six months, you can be on your way to freedom. Visit ClinicGymHybrid.com today for a free downloadable PDF and complimentary consultation to get you started. That's ClinicGymHybrid.com. I don't care if it's Ben's approach or SFMA or anything. If anybody comes to me and says, I do this before and after evaluation, I already know you're in the top half of the providers out there. Isn't that wild? (laughs) Yeah, but most people just do a, some sort of subjective evaluation 
and don't do any sort of reevaluation, even if it is subjective. Just right. the step of doing a before and after is, is awesome. And then going through with objective data will make you even that much better. So if you're not doing that, please find something and start there. Just, you know, because everything else, everything else going on in your clinic is then on, uh, on shaky foundations. So Absolutely. So from a business perspective, Ben, I mean, you're a busy, you know, before the call started, you were saying that you're just like overwhelmed. You got a two week waiting list. You got a ton of people coming in and, and you said all of your cases are, or what you specialize in is complex, chronic, night, basically the nightmare cases that everybody hopes don't come in your office. And you're, you're sitting there like a freaking uh, Florence Nightingale saying, come all ye that are, you know, chronic and complex, <laughs> baby, I'll take care of you. That's right. But, That's our model. Yeah. Um, which is awesome. And I, and I think that, you know, obviously you're a skilled therapist if you're, if you're willing or you're outwardly attracting those people. Mm-hmm. But from a business perspective, how do, you, how do you integrate those two sides? Because, you know, certainly I'm an advocate of it, but can you kind of go into some detail how you integrate the two sides? And when you take a chronic complex case and say, hey, you know what? I want you to work more with the, I'll just use the term trainer, coach, whatever you want to say, not the clinician's today or at this piece, how are you, um, how are you finding that division between the two sides of the house? Well, I I think it really came out of, out of necessity. So first of all, let me just give you a little background of our clinic. I I work in a small urban clinical setting. Our clinic is 1100 square feet. Bathrooms are out in the hallway. They're not part of our clinic space. And out of that uh, 1,100 square feet, we've made a very small 380 square foot portion of it a functioning gym. So we're talking small gym. Um, Initially, that was just filled with open space to perform rehab with all of our patients. And we still utilize it that way. But what I was finding is we were making really great strides with conditions that for these patients had never responded to the previous therapies uh, quite this well before. And I was trying to discharge patients within six to eight sessions when I first began. Uh, And that's in our chronic complex, which is a little bit um, odd to be able to do that. And that relied on me a getting, you know, building our therapy on the right property that was surveyed, getting the eval well, but also on patient compliance, very good patient compliance to what I had set forth for them. Um, but it was also because as a self-pay practice, I was aware of bills of patients and wanted them to get independent uh, right away. I found, as many of your listeners will find, that when you discharge a patient early, they often will relapse, they'll stop doing their exercises, or this is my all-time least favorite thing to happen, I will say, you need to exercise, here is the name of a trainer, or here is the name of a gym, I want you to exercise two to three days a week, here are my guidelines, And they come back in after going through that approach and doing very, very poorly with it. That was the need that highlighted, was highlighted where we said, okay, these patients still do not have the right mentality or the body awareness or even down to the cellular capability to run this exercise on their own yet. Let's get them started. That's actually what started my gym as well. That, yeah, the very I, thing. I, I hated people coming back. Yeah, I hated people coming back being injured, and you're like, dude, I sent you to who I think is the best trainer in town, 
and it just didn't work. But anyways, go on. Sorry. Yeah. So we, we first played around with doing four sessions that were just taking our rehab exercises and adding demand to them via load progressions, speed progressions, or acceleration progressions. Let me, let me pause real quick. So those four sessions, this is post treat, I'm air quoting here, treatment. So you've, you've had your first few treatment sessions and then you're moving into these four, or this is your four initial treatments. No, they're not my initial treatments. With okay. with our population, it's usually when I say I want to discharge you, but I don't trust that it'll go well yet. <laughs> but I think you're a nice person, so <laughs> that's that's right. Uh, so it's I would say those four sessions are their transition between okay, perfect being under care and being independent. Okay. So we, we just started by adding demand to it, and then that's when my eyes opened as I don't have a training background. But my eyes really opened to a lot of training methods being utilized as rehab load progression strategies. Um, some key ones for us, we use a lot of tie boxing for acceleration and impact type progressions. Um, love using the TRX or suspension training for building up some easy, quick stability in the shoulder girdle. Love it. Um, so yep. we, we started turning more and more to fitness strategies and tweaking them to work with our population and our rehab model. And, and that sort of um, led us to small group personal training, which we now do 12 to 14 hours per day. Or not oh, per day. Ben, if I was there, I'd kiss per you on your cheek, buddy. What's that? I said, if I was there next to you, I'd kiss you on the cheek. Well, that, that certainly changed this conversation. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is how it should go though. Like I hope everybody hears like Ben organically grew this into exactly the model that I preach, right? Have four right. transitional one-on-ones. Now who's running those transitional one-on-ones? Is that all coach? Well, I've hired an, an amazing athletic trainer who has taken okay. my coursework and was previously working in a collegiate athletic training setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, what you said earlier on in some of your podcasts that, you know, you'd put your staff up against just about anybody else. That's really what you need to find to make this work. You need to get somebody that is very, very good, who's open to training and wants to, wants to accomplish this thing as much or more than you do. And we found that person. So he's working with me both on rehab of our patients and he's leading the fitness programs. Uh, I step in and lead the classes when he's out, uh, but he's been nice enough to write the programming for those sessions for me. But if in a pinch, if you got the flu, let's say, Mm -hmm. and you knew that there were a bunch of people coming in for these transitional appointments, he could run them no problem. Oh, absolutely. He he does run the majority of them. I'm the one that steps in on occasion when he's out. So for those of you... Um, how do I say this nicely? Those of you who think you're the shit and that your clinic revolves around you like the sun, I'm telling you right now, I, I know it, Ben knows it. And everybody that wants to act like a business owner knows you can actually leverage your employees to handle a large portion of your patient care. You have to, you have yeah. to. And yeah. Ben is, and I hope everybody's hearing this. Everybody goes, oh, well, that's for easy cases. Ben is, has a complex chronic nightmare scenario <laughs> clinic that everybody here would be like peeing their pants to deal with these people all day long. And you're bringing those people in and transitioning to exercise. So we know it works. We know it can work in all populations and we know that it doesn't have to be done every single time by you. Right? Absolutely. And what if, in a perfect world now, a couple things, let me go back. 
when you said you found this great person with a, a huge track record of, you know, they, they were in collegiate, they went to your training program. Uh, most of the people go, oh, there aren't any great trainers in my area. And I always respond with, you're damn right. <laughs> because mm-hmm. most of the trainers don't have anybody guiding them to be great. Right. right. But Absolutely. you found somebody, I mean, most people don't run, you know, 14 CEU weekends a year. So they're not going to see the same faces all the time. But True. But that person stepping up and saying, hey, I want to get educated. I want to learn the next level. Is that person saying, I want to be a great trainer. There's just no resources here for me. Yeah. So you're, and you, you brought this up as well. This is a, this is a, of course I did. I'm a genius, Ben. Come on. <laughs> I'm just this kidding. is a, this is a profession who is highly trained yet highly undervalued and they are desperate to help and desperate to learn. And so our whole hiring process revolved around that is let's get the right person who has the right mentality for what we're doing and train them up and let them succeed. Yeah. And they're probably, I'm going to guess, super hungry for every little nugget you will drop off the table, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So in a perfect world, if you had this going all the way, I want to talk to people about, uh, about something that, that is often spoken of, but never actually encountered. And that's vacation. Uh, (laughs) Most clinicians never do that. Uh, Uh But in a perfect world, what percentage of your total workload could this trainer take off your, your plate? Once they're trained up, they understand your systems and charting and billing and all that. Do you think uh-huh. they could take 20 to 25% of work off your plate? Uh, I'd put it at over 50%. Say that again, please, so that the people who are driving uh, and just hit a speed bump can, can listen in. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely put it at over 50%. I, I, don't, I don't know where exactly we're at on the number base, but... Um, outside of my initial exam for these chronic and complex cases that involves literature review, imaging review, et cetera, this individual can lead, I would say, close to 80% of our hands-on therapy. And he can triage uh, and make decisions on the fly for another 50% of those decision-making. I would say he's capable of running the practice with the exception of the most complex of cases that need my attention. That's fantastic. And I want to talk to you about the financial side of that. But before I do that, what, what happens in these clinics, like people say, Oh, like what Ben's saying is he, this guy can handle 50% of the load. So what happens is Ben goes and fills up the remaining 50% with new patients, right? Which is what should happen. I mean, you're not going to just going to sit there and and have a half full schedule. But the other thing is 50% of that work is now done by another employee right? So that right. you can serve more people. And by the way, at the same time, you're seeing people, this person's bringing in revenue for your clinic, right? Absolutely. And there's another person they can believe in that they're going to be okay. And especially in chronic and complex, they're often doubtful of everything, right? They're skeptics. Mm-hmm. And now you have this perfect system going on. And even if you have a full schedule, then you leave for vacation. Well, 50% of whatever you can do can be done while you're gone by this individual who's bringing in money while you're gone. Like that's how you go on vacation. People, if you leave and your business has to close, you don't have a business. You have a hobby that's reliant (laughs) on you. That's a, that's a good goal. That's where we all need to look up to you, Josh. (laughs) How long is this vacation you've been on? (laughs) It's been six months now, but (laughs) that's, uh, that's great. You're doing great work while you're at it. Hey, thanks. Uh, Now let's go back to the financial side. So you're in Illinois, which is pretty restrictive chiropractic license state, right? 
Actually, the scope here for practice is very good. Okay. Uh, but the reimbursement so-so. Well, I've done a lot of research and a lot of consulting. I've never run into a chiropractor who says, you know, the reimbursements here are pretty damn good. I got to admit <laughs> that has never yeah. left anybody's mouth, you know? Yeah, that's right. But, and maybe by, maybe by comparison, they, they are really good. Um, they don't, they certainly don't seem to be, um, but I, our scope allows us to do the majority of, of what we need to do to, okay. to make a big difference in people. And how do you set up the business side? Just as one example, uh, how do you set up the business side for what those four transitional, um, appointments, mm-hmm. are, are they billed under insurance? Are you able to do supervised care or are they right. total cash? Cur- or how do you guys currently, do they are billed through insurance. If okay. we accept the insurance, they're essentially billed as a physical therapy session. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as they've met the goals we lined up for them, we, we try to transition them into uh, self-pay for continued fitness within those four to six uh, sort of discharge-like training sessions. Mm-hmm. So we haven't had anybody that we've billed more than six sessions that way to mm-hmm. insurance. And they are physical therapy sessions. We're using load and uh, variability to increase their control over their bodies. So they definitely qualify for physical therapy billing. Um, but if they're getting close well, to- Hold on, did you put on a hot pack? Just do some ECM? Yeah. You know, we have no room for eat dinner hot pack in our clinic. We only have room for what works and what's, you know, Ooh, really zinger. Ben's throwing lightning over here. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so after that they, they transitioned into self-pay. We encourage a minimum of two small group classes per week and we provide uh, sort of a drop down list for some home programming that they can do on their own. Awesome. Love it. I mean, it's, it's, it, and how long have you been doing the small group classes in your, in your facility there? Uh, we're actually at just over a year now for the small okay. group training. So you're doing small group. You have these four transitional things and total gym space is what? 380 square feet? Right. If we take the equipment out, it's 380 square feet of floor space. Okay. And, uh, you know, like I, heard, I hope everybody hears Everybody says, Oh, I don't have the space. Like this guy's doing it in a smaller than 20 by 20 space, uh, doing it with clients you already had in your practice, right? For the most part, uh, there's a good group now that's being referred in from their tennis coach to do their strengthening with us. Okay. Fantastic. But otherwise it was just, what I want to show people is this is not like, like you're referring these people out and they're mm-hmm. just falling off. And if you just kept right. that in house, you have this other opportunity to be like, hey, we can make this other stream of revenue. Right. An employee, not, not a clinician working more hours. And, and ultimately, when patients know we have this option, they ask for it. They want this option. So it, if you set it up right, it, it does a lot of the selling itself, at least in the small size that we're utilizing it. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect model. It's a perfect model. That's why I advocate it. So I appreciate you proving that everything I believe is right here, Ben. Uh, objectively, <laughs> by the way, this was not, back, yeah, Josh. this wasn't subjective data. This was completely objective. I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. So, uh, so, so set up small group, you have these four transitional appointments, by the way, uh, if you're running a program like, like Ben is, and you, you hit those four visits and you realize you can't transition people in four visits, Tell me if you agree with this from your experience. Either you're sending too complex of cases to your coach or trainer or, uh, or the coach or trainer doesn't yet have the skill set to get everybody piped into small group. 
both of those are training issues. Either you need to be trained or they need to be trained. But yes, I, I would agree with that. But I, for my population, I'd have to add in a third. Another scenario where it doesn't work in four sessions is some people just take a little bit of time. They're, they've been used to not healing at fast rates. They've been used to not training, trusting their body. They've been used to not moving their body. And sometimes you de- do need to employ a higher level of patience. Um, However, that is less and less uh, present when you make the right decision at the right time to send them to training. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah. And uh, it's just, yeah, everything about it's so great. So anyways, not to distract and, and go over what, what I do, but what you do, uh, the grip approach, how often can people, uh, how often are you offering classes for them to get trained in this approach? Uh, every year we run the full clinical program in or near Chicago, Illinois. And then mm-hmm. we work regionally outside of that to provide the performance and clinical cl- uh, classes spread out. Uh, right now we're running 22 public classes uh this year, uh, that may be growing a little bit, and we're running a few private classes for sports organizations this year. And then we run a handful of classes in Asia uh, currently. So Chicago and Asia and a couple places in between. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you're <laughs> listening on the West Coast, uh, we've had lots and lots of class requests for California and Oregon and Washington. We've got two classes out in your area in April, so San Jose and Portland. We've got a couple classes that are going on in Denver and in Houston, Indianapolis, and we've got our full three-part uh, performance series happening in good old Kansas City right Woo-hoo! after the Forward KC convention. So you can do all three parts of our performance series and get certified. Fantastic. All right. So if you guys want to hear Ben and his uh, genius, he will be speaking at the Forward KC event June 1st through 3rd in Kansas City. Then you're offering a coursework after that, right? Yeah. A couple weeks after we start part one. Fantastic. And you have classes for both clinicians and the performance side of the house, which I hope everybody is, if you aren't developing it, you are going to start after this, listening to this podcast. And besides that, uh, they can come basically enjoy the, I think it's one of my favorite cities in the U.S. is Chicago uh, and learn all about the grip approach, right? Absolutely. Fantastic. Join me in my clinic after your class. There you go. All right. Well, uh, I think we pretty much covered everything I wanted to cover here, Ben. Anything else you want to add in? No, thank you for putting out uh, these great podcasts and inviting me onto it. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. We always look for great providers. That's our goal is to help great providers uh, double their income without working more hours. And, and that takes great systems on the front end, like your clinical approach and, and rehab. And then it also takes business systems and you are perfectly in line with every one of them because you're empowering those CAs, trainers, coaches, whatever you want to call it to integrate perfectly with your model. And it just, it breeds, it just breeds a better business, right? It does. It does. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good, exciting, comfortable, and uncomfortable environment to be in. It, it challenges you and pats you on the back at the same time. Yeah. And I think it does the same for your, for your patients, right? They have a better care model because you integrated both sides. They do. Yeah. All right. Well, 
Ben, thank you so much for taking the time today. And on behalf of Dr. Ben Fergus and the GRIP Approach, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're ready to double your profit without working longer hours, please visit clinicgymhybrid.com and find out how easy it is to get started on your path to freedom. That's clinicgymhybrid.com.